Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. We are back with Steve Oaken, the senior advisor at McClarty Associates. Steve, welcome back to the studio. Anything interesting happening in the news this week? Well, you know, I was came back from the U.S., saw Liz Cheney mm. uh, give the commencement address at Colorado College, where Bennett graduated. You know, and she talked about how leaders need to pay a price when they are buffoons and when they lie all the time. So it's so great to see that her speech came true with Boris Johnson's resignation <laughs> so far. from Parliament. So, far. <laughs> so we got one down and one to go. There you go. Oh, Very interesting. Yes. And so just briefly, how was your trip? You've been gone for two weeks. We missed you. It was great. You know, great to be back in the U.S. It's great to be in spring weather. I'm still not yeah. used to Singapore. You live yeah. here 20 years, but you go away two weeks. It I takes know. It takes time to acklimate. But, you yeah. know, Beautiful time to be in Colorado, right? Beautiful time to be in Colorado. It's still in Southern California. You know, you have, you know, June gloom, so still not great weather there yet. But wonderful uh, to be in in Colorado and go hiking up in the foothills of the Rockies and and spending time there. And just very briefly, Bennett, a former intern on this show. Congratulations, Bennett, on graduating. What happens for him now? Well, he is now in Brooklyn picking the perfect time to graduate to get into film and media with a uh, writer strike and a pending <laughs> actor strike. Uh, so he'll be uh, looking forward to picking up some work as a production assistant on some movies and television series. So hopefully he's got something lined up uh, to do that. So he's finding a... A, a place to live in Bed-Stuy, um, a neighborhood we would not have gone in when we were his age. Yeah, definitely, of, right? Uh, but you can do that now. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, we got a lot to talk about. Let's just jump right in. Huge week in uh, Singapore news. A senior Minister Tharman announcing that he is going to put his hat in the ring for the Singapore presidency. Of course, Madam Halima announcing that she will not run again. Uh, tell us about, from the business perspective especially, what this might mean for Singapore. He's well-known in business circles, both obviously locally, but internationally as well. Yeah, I, I don't. there is no one more respected, certainly in Singapore, and you can even argue globally um, than Tharman as, you know, the former finance minister here who did such a great job, all his work in international organizations. I mean, to have someone from Singapore be named as the chair of the IMF's International Monetary and Financial Committee shows the respect globally um, that he has. And so I think it's going to transform the the office a bit of, of president because it's now not just going to be seen as head of state where the prime minister is head of government, but hey, he's certainly not going to be co-prime minister. It's, it's not going to be anything like that. But he is going to add an avenue for other leaders who do come here to meet with him to talk about global economics, to talk about all the transformations that are taking place in the world economy, especially as we have to deal with all of these risks and you can put climate on top of that. Steve, you used to work in the American government. You still liaise with different governments at the highest levels. How is Tarman viewed outside of Singapore? No, again, I mean, there isn't a, a more respected person in international finance in Singapore, let alone in, in other countries as well. I, it's interesting as I'm reading the political 
piece here where, you know, there are people saying, well, this is great politically for the PAP as well, because Tharman is clearly going to win. And one of the headlines I saw said, you know, Singapore's next president announces run for president. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is <laughs> I said you that. <laughs> <laughs> Take credit for everything. Neil, I will. I will. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, there's no question he is going to win and he's going to win in maybe probably even he could be unopposed. And if he isn't, he'll win in a landslide. But I don't think this is going to carry over to the next general election when it comes um, to, to the parliamentary elections. So I don't see that benefit coming politically, but I certainly see an economic benefit and a stature benefit coming. Um, and it may even transform the office of president a bit because on paper, the office of president has has some significant uh, uh, powers here. The right to veto spending bills, the right to yeah, the power of the purse, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, much yeah. more so mm-hmm. than than others. And so yeah. it's it's good news. Well, we'll see. No, no one has uh, no one has no one else has put their hat in the ring yet. So we will see who may. Uh, do that in coming weeks. And of course, the interesting one would be whether uh, the current prime minister's brother, who said in March he would consider running for the position, um, goes forward with a a request to be placed on the ballot. So some things to watch uh, in development. But I think most people are thinking this is going to be a uncontested election. Well, we will have a look. Okay, next is the Echosperity Conference. Now, I had a hard time saying that at first. It doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue, but uh, tell us a bit about it. You were involved, or you were you were attending, I believe, right, or in or watching closely. Yeah, I, I attended, participated, watched closely. This is Tomasic started doing this about uh, I think it's six or seven years ago, and it's really grown into being a a global event, and it brings together global business leaders, policymakers, investors, and in civil society. Society to talk in in this instance, it was really to talk about the the transition to net zero that we have to get to because the planet cannot survive in its current shape along the trajectory that we are on. And it's and and Singapore has really taken the the initiative to to be a leader in this area because Singapore cannot transition to net zero on its own. If you're going to transition yeah. into a carbon neutral economy, you have to have renewable energy. Singapore is geographically, it's it's either too small or it doesn't have access to solar or wind or uh, geothermal, hydro. So it's got to find some solution to bring that you know, renewable energy here. And mm. so it's really critical for Singapore to have this conference and it's building the ecosystem so that it can be a hub for finance when it comes to net zero. So it's really doing a, it's making significant progress, but man, do we have a long way to go. Well, the the Environment Sustainability Minister, Grace Fu, was there. She sat on a panel and one of the interesting questions that came out of it was the universal question, you know, how does decarbonization come at the expense of economic growth? How do you balance those two? We know what needs to be done, but we also need to turn a profit or make money for the country because we've got an aging population. They need to be taken care of. This is a global issue. How do we fix that? Yeah, and that, well, look, that's, well, we don't know. And that's yeah. a lot of what yeah. the discussion was. You know, we talk about ESG. Maybe, you know, I was having a dinner conversation. We need to reorder it and not put the E first, but put the S first. 
You have to put social first because if you don't take care of people's livelihoods, if you're going to shut down all of the coal mines, if you're going to shut down all of the electricity that's generated with with you know um, with coal and other dirty forms of of energy, then what's going to happen to people's livelihoods? Mm. What's going to happen to their their jobs? What's going to happen to their education? What's going to happen to their health care? And so we can't only think about this from an environmental perspective. And then at the same time, how do you incentivize people to do this? And and I was at, uh, you know, Indonesia featured very prominently this week. And, you know, the Indonesian minister Lahut spoke at the opening dinner and he said, you know, said to the West, I don't need your lectures about decarbonization. You're the ones who caused all these problems. Don't look to me to solve it. You have to pay for it. And the West right now isn't willing to pay for it. And so, but does that mean Indonesia shouldn't be doing what it can to make sure that its rainforests don't get chopped down yeah. and don't get cleared? So it's a real geopolitical issue and that we are not doing well. Steve, just briefly, we, we do have to move on. we got a lot of other stuff to talk about. But, I mean, did you really see any flicker of light, any any white light at the end of the tunnel on this whole thing? I mean, look, you know, countries have been talking about this stuff for over a decade now, right? You, and just to add to that, Grace Fu said, and I didn't know this, that 98% of Singapore's power supply source is natural gas, which is the cheapest form of, uh, cleanest form, cleanest form of fossil fuel, but it is still a fossil fuel. And 98% of it, unless there's something else commercially viable, she said, what else can we do? Well, so you, what you're seeing is some innovations coming. So I would say from a governmental perspective, you're seeing negotiations taking place bilaterally. So Singapore is negotiating with some of its neighbors that can they can you bring in the clean energy, the renewable energy from, you know, its neighbors or even from Australia, from Peru, and then incentivize the investment that needs to go into those countries so Singapore then can address and get off of dirty energy and then use renewable energy. So you're seeing governments think differently. You're seeing new technologies come on board. You're you're seeing, I was at something called the Livability Challenge, where you're seeing all of these startups saying, how can we decarbonize the shipping sector? How can we restore mangroves? How can we regenerate seaweed? So there's really a huge impetus to do this. They're starting to get money into it, but there's not enough money yet. And there isn't, although the multilaterally yet, you see like, you know, President Jokowi come here from Indonesia, talk about the need to build this new forest city that is going to be their capital, Nusantara. They have to do it because Jakarta is sinking. It is it is a you know, we've all been there. It is it is a disaster and it's only going to get worse. Yet where is the money going to come from? How do we know Indonesia is going to have the political will to do this? And so. Indonesia has said, we'll pay for 20% of it, but you know how much of that 80% of the billions and billions of dollars has been raised by private investors so far? Yeah. Zilch. Zilch. <laughs> Zilch. Yeah, especially when, you know, China's economy is slowing and, you know, there's all kinds of other economic pressures on every country around the world uh, post-pandemic. So uh, interesting to to watch and see uh, what happens there. All right, let's move on. A fascinating week or 10 days in the U.S. Republican politics as it relates to the 2024 election. 
for a long time, Donald Trump, for months, Donald Trump was the only guy that had announced he was going to be running for president in 2024. And now, all of a sudden, we've got Mike Pence, his former vice president, Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Of course, he was second to announce, uh, I think, maybe, oh, no, not second. But anyway, Tim Scott, a senator, and Nikki Haley, uh, also um, another part of the Trump administration, the last administration. How dare you forget the North Dakota governor who just announced as well? Well, I wasn't finished yet. Yeah, we got Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, uh, Asa Hutchinson, Larry Elder, Glenn Youngkin, Perry. I mean, blah, 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 blah. And yet Trump still has a runaway lead. Runaway lead. And How, how should we view how should we view this this circus that's coming to town? Well, well, I mean, the problem is we are in uncharted territory with him being indicted. And so if you want to look at 2016 as a model that if you are a fan of Donald Trump, you are thrilled that you have all of these names now announcing some of them. I mean, a former vice president, Mike Pence, real heavy hitters who have announced. And the problem is that you have a core part of the Republican Party who are always Trumpers. They are never going to move away from him. We now have, you know, we had the the Mueller hoax and we had the Russia hoax and now we have the boxes hoax. They're not going to go away from him. And so he is going to split the field. He's going to pick them off one by one and he's going to get the Republican nomination. That if 2016 holds, and you have to presume it will. Now, what happens when we see all of this evidence coming out about how Donald Trump put the U.S. national security at risk? How he is showing with the documents, with in, the in documents, Mar-a-Lago. top secret documents about the threat against the United States from from Iran and other countries, and how the U.S. could respond to militarily, and literally showing those just to people. And it's on tape that he's showing them. There's pictures of classified material that he has out in the open in Mar-a-Lago in ballrooms. Ballrooms and bathrooms, right? Showers. So if we're just... The evidence is so overwhelming right now against him. Is that going to make a difference? We'll have to find out. Maybe not. And so we really don't know where we are. We just think that if you follow the 2016 model, it's going to be Donald Trump's going to be the Republican nominee again. Well, looking at the recent indictments against Trump, he, he got a bump. His popularity went up because they played a conspiracy theory. And for the benefit of our listeners, explain that even though the Republican Trumpers are saying it's all a conspiracy, Biden and everyone is out to get them. This is the Justice Department, right? And this has nothing to do in the separation of powers with the Biden administration. Well, this is what Donald Trump and and, and the MAGA Republicans call the deep state, Mm. that the liberals and globalists and money have just integrated and become the establishment, have become the federal government, and that they deep state, which includes includes everybody. I suppose I was deep state at some point. All my friends in the government are deep state and that the deep state is against Trump and against Trumpers. And if you want to extend it they're they are against, you know, the the having, you know, property owners who were in charge of the United States from day 
day one that they're going to take the country away from them. And so that is what they believe. And they believe that there's a huge conspiracy and that this is just a direct line that, that Trump ties in from. He says they went after me when I started to run. They continue to go after me now. Is, is Glenn deep state, just so I know? <laughs> <laughs> the the SPH deep state. I mean, oh, OK. Glenn I need to know I, these I'm, things. I'm, I'm so deep state. I'm shallow state. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a, it comes I, full circle. I actually had somebody about six or seven years ago. They were leaving Singapore after having been here for many years, and it was their going away party. And they and they pulled me aside. You know, I, this person had a few drinks. He goes, "Glenn, I, I just got to ask you, do you work for the CIA?" <laughs> well, I've had my concerns, my theories. <laughs> oh, believe me, I wouldn't be living the lifestyle I'm living if yeah. I was if I was a CIA operative. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not a member. I'm not a current or former member of the uh, of any of the alphabets. I'm glad so, we cleared that we up. But it was yeah. funny. Yeah, but to, you know, go back on what the Republicans <laughs> are going to do. I mean, the problem is because Trump has this hold on pick a number, 40 percent, 35 percent of the primary voters, that that's all you need in the way the Republican Party is set right, up. The primaries, right. it's it's mm, first past mm. the post. It's not majority. So when you got 10 people running, 11 people running, you know, Trump gets 35 percent. The others get 65 percent. That means Trump gets 100 percent of the delegates or close to it. Yep. And so he then gets all those delegates. And so the question is. What will those other 10 do? Will they start really attacking Trump? And Mike Pence, it's, you know, it's, how does he say this? Where Mike Pence says that Donald Trump is unfit to Mm. be president. Mm. And then they say to Mike Pence, if he's the Republican nominee, will you support him? I will support the Republican (laughs) nominee for president. (laughs) You're like, what? So this, a person's unfit, (laughs) you will support. So they can't attack Trump because they're so afraid of not winning the primary. So, so, and DeSantis, they're all doing it. The only one who's really come out strongly, well, I mean, Asa Hutchinson, which you could say who. No. Um, I've had a lot of respect for him because I, I worked a, quite a bit with him when he was a, in Congress and he was on the House Transportation Committee. So great, he was a very good governor for, for Arkansas, very conservative Republican, but a good American, good Republican. He's attacking him, but he has zero chance. Okay, briefly, um, is there any tipping point for Trump? Or is there no, there's nowhere he cannot go and, and lose that support? I mean, the only question is what is going to really come out of of this indictment if it really shows that he was so reckless with America's most important nuclear secrets and you get all of the Republicans starting to attack him, not just Chris Christie, not just Asa Hutchinson, but is DeSantis really going to go after him? Is Pence really, really going to go after him? Maybe that'll make a little bit of a difference and Mm. maybe he will get beat in the Republican primary. It will certainly bloody him going into the general election. Mm. Um, but then we have to worry about, will there be a third party? And then yeah. will that hurt <laughs> Let's Biden? talk about that next week. Okay. Actually, let, no, seriously, let's talk about a possible third party, Joe Lieberman, uh, a, a well-known name in, Re- in Republican and independent politics. Democratic politics. Uh, Democratic, Democratic politics Center. as yeah. well. Yes, excuse me. Uh, but we'll talk about the, a possible hey, third party in the U.S. Cornell West announced. So there is a third party running now. Okay. So we'll talk more Cornell West as well. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Our last story. Lionel Messi going to uh, going to Miami to play football instead of going to Saudi Arabia. The Live Tour and the and the PGA and the DP World Tour, former European golf tour, merging now with a big uh, money thing. So Saudi sports washing. All these different things coming up. 
it was a massive week in for sports. Okay. And it, whatever question you have, money is the answer. <laughs> so we know there that. We go. Start with that. And, and second, if you're looking to sports for your heroes, you will inevitably be disappointed. Mm. So those, take those two things, and okay. now we can start talking about Liv and the PGA and the incredible hypocrisy that we find with the PGA Tour so and its commissioner. So break down that hypocrisy for us right now. Well, so so the PGA Tour setup, Live Golf was funded block, stock, and barrel by Saudi Arabia with uh, by their bil- sovereign wealth by funds. their sovereign wealth yeah. fund, yeah. maybe a billion dollars or so that they put into this, and the Saudis backed a breakaway tour, and they wanted to take over golf globally. They weren't able to do it because the PGA responded a bit and were able to pay a little bit more money than they had paid otherwise, which does show competition is a good thing when it comes to to business. And there were golfers, especially Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, who said, we're not going to take the money from Saudi Arabia. We are going to protect the legacy of the PGA Tour. We're going to protect the legacy of competition, and we don't want that Saudi money. Now, I think, sorry, just to break in, I think Rory, I read, passed up a potential $200 million payday. I think Rory was five, Rory was like two or five hundred million, and and Tiger was close to a billion. Like these are that not small dollar amounts for them to to stick with their principles. Right, and then all of a sudden the PGA Tour flips and takes the money. Well, it it flipped in part because of uh, absolutely it was because of the money, and it was into a huge ugly litigation between the two where there was restraint restraint of trade, there were antitrust violations going back and forth, and so the PGA decided that it was going to capitulate even though it said that why would we work with a government, and this is funded by the government, the Live Tour, why are we going to work with a government that was responsible for 9-11 that killed Americans? Um, And they decided at the end of the day that from a business perspective, this was the right decision to make, which, quite frankly, most businesses in the United States and globally have made the same decision. I mean, just briefly, Steve, for the benefit of our listeners, the same investment fund, it's called the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. They bought Newcastle United. They own them lock, stock and barrel. They own four clubs in the Saudi uh, state, Al Nasser, Al Hilal, Al Hali and Al Itihad. Ronaldo plays for one of them. Karim Benzema plays for another one. He's a famous player. They have the Formula One, and they now have golf, and they have major boxing bouts. Where does this end? Or does it? It doesn't end. And, but, and look, you know, they're also invested in Uber, right? So we say we, we use them, and, and Uber owns Grab. Or own, Uber owns about 20% of Grab. But sports washing doesn't really apply to Uber. It, it's, but no, I'm saying, but, it's, but their money is going, why is it okay for them to invest in a company like Uber, but not invest into, a, into, into golf? I mean, where is our hypocrisy saying, this is my point at the beginning, why is sports different? Why do we say that they, you know, we're going to protest when, they, when, they, when they're going to buy a golf tournament? But we're not going to protest when they're investing in iconic U.S. companies, when they are investing in literally every private equity firm that you want to want to discuss globally. Why do we draw the line at Saudi Arabia and not China? I mean, so I, I think that there's a real question. Why is it that we are making sports any different and why are we making Saudi Arabia different? It's it's well. And honestly, a, look, there why, is a difference, why are we though. just 
why is the discussion only on Saudi Arabia? I mean, there are plenty of governments around the world, including a few represented by the folks sitting in this room right now, that have done some pretty horrible things in the name of of making money, investing, um, overcoming regimes, you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't I don't think it's entirely fair to just single out Saudi Arabia. They're doing what they're doing what every other government around the world has done, which is seek legitimacy through different whatever yeah. channels they could afford to to go through. Yeah, right? just to add to that, the UK sells arms to oh, Saudi Arabia course, and so on. Right? But the point is, is ben, there is a difference with sports. Between sports and say Uber and other companies. And as Ben Freeman, a research fellow at the Quincy Institute, says for responsible statescraft, when Newcastle was bought, a lot of sports fans supported the owners, which is the authoritarian government of Saudis. It is different when it comes to sports. That's what my point was. Sports is going to disappoint you if you are going to hold it up to a higher standard than everything else. It is a business. And why do we allow the Olympics to be in Russia? Why do we allow the Olympics to be in China? Because they paid the most money and, yeah, and yeah. put on a good show. And so that's where we come to. And, and look, if you want to say... There are exceptions, and you want to, uh, and that's why we applaud Rory McIlroy for standing up to his principles. Lionel Messi turned down four billion pounds to, get, to talk about five hundred million dollars, four billion pounds to go to Saudi Arabia. Why? His family said, "You know what? My life is going to be better in Miami, and so maybe I have enough money. I don't need more." And so you can find exceptions, but the rule is that we are going to be disappointed if we're going to look at sports as the judge for our morality. Steve, we got to leave it there. Thank you so much, as always. We'll see you next week. We'll talk about a third-party run for the U.S. presidency. Thanks for being with us. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.